0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back.
1: I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, are you taking antibiotics when you shouldn't? Up next, we'll talk to a doctor who is part of a campaign to make sure we uh, know exactly what we're taking when we take antibiotics and when we don't need them. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. Police in Victoria say they have busted a sophisticated retail theft operation that targeted retailers in the downtown core. It was quite a bold scheme and it targeted specific businesses. People used a central phone number where they could request items that they wanted. And then those items would be stolen and traded for drugs. Police say they discovered the ring earlier this year while investigating drug trafficking in Victoria, and they've since seized nearly $100,000 in goods, along with more than two and a half kilos of drugs. Search warrants have been executed at two Victoria area homes, netting items ranging from clothing to electronics and toys, as well as drugs and cash. And police say the investigation is still underway. And as we pay more in the grocery store, the heads of the largest grocery chains certainly are making the big bucks as their earnings go way up. Empire CEO Michael Medline took in $8.7 million last year. Metro CEO Eric LaFleche earned $5.4 million. Galen Weston took home $8.4 million as the head of Loblaw. But that's not the whole picture including his role as head of the George Weston Holding Company, his total pay reached $11.7 million. These grocery chain heads told a parliamentary committee last month that higher food prices are not caused by profit-mongering and their margins on food sales have remained low. After two years of negotiations, Rogers Communications has closed its $26 billion purchase of Shaw Communications. Rogers CEO Tony Staffieri says it's good for customers who will benefit from the latest services and network technology, but critics say it would lead to less competition and that will mean higher prices for us. But supporters of the deal say it will help Rogers take advantage of telecommunications infrastructure that's already in place, especially here in the West. And they say that could lead to lower costs. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that our cell phone bills will go down. The British Columbia government is also hoping to build its way out of the current housing crisis, and they're ready to spend billions to get it done. The wide-ranging new plan includes incentives to build, laws to curb speculation, and financial help for renters and homeowners. The province says it's in addition to the plan the NDP government introduced in 2018 that it says has built more than 74,000 homes towards a promise of 114,000 units over a decade. Do you have a guitar obsession? You buy a lot of guitars, maybe even more than you really need or can play. Well, Randy Backman admits it, that he has that problem, but then again, he probably should. But he's shedding light on his guitar obsession with a new temporary exhibit set to open at Calgary's National Music Center inside Studio Bell next month. Organizers say the former member of both the Guess Who and Backman-Turner Overdrive will showcase more than 80 of his prized guitars for Randy Bachman, Every guitar tells a story. They include the very first guitar that Randy Bachman ever bought. He got it out of a Sears catalog when he was 13 years old. And uh, he'll also uh, display his signature 1959 Les Paul electric guitar. This is Vancouver Consumer. And up next, antibiotics. Are you taking them when you shouldn't? Up next, we'll talk to a doctor who is part of a campaign to make sure that doesn't happen. That's next.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And antibiotics can save lives. There's no doubt about that. But have we become a little free and easy when it comes to our use of antibiotics. In fact, a national survey conducted in 2022 showed that 32.5% of Canadians believe that antibiotics can kill viruses. Not true. And 28% of Canadians say that antibiotics are effective against colds and flu and even COVID-19. Also not true. Antibiotic-wise, is a new BC province-wide public awareness and education campaign to talk about issues related to antibiotic overuse, misuse, and the resistance to antibiotics. They have a website, antibioticwise.ca, and it's a great resource, especially if you're wondering about whether or not you're suffering from something that could be helped by antibiotics. You might be taking them for no good reason. Antibiotic Wise is spearheaded by the BC Center for Disease Control. And to talk about the Antibiotic Wise campaign, we have Dr. David Patrick with us. Dr. Patrick is an infectious disease physician and an epidemiologist, serves as professor and director at UBC School of Population and Public Health and provides service as a medical epidemiologist at the BC Center for Disease Control. Man, that's a lot. I'm impressed that you can make the time for us. Thanks for being here, Dr. Patrick.
2: Thanks for having us, Martin. Um, it doesn't matter about the background at all. All we want to do is talk about being wise consumers with antibiotics.
1: Yeah, and uh, we've been hearing a lot about this for a lot of years, and it's alarming, those numbers, that people still think that uh, like antibiotics are good for a cold. Are you surprised? by that attitude
2: i'm surprised because it's you know there's been information out there to the contrary for quite a long time but i i'm not negative about the fact that there's been a lot of positive improvement in canada we've seen way less prescribing for little kids uh when it's not been necessary but we've got a way to go yet with my crowd with uh boomers and beyond
1: Yeah, and I guess it's sort of a fine line between uh, the patients who are taking the antibiotics when they're not needed, but also the doctors play a role in that. So how does that work?
2: Well, I think it's an important dynamic. And so it's kind of interesting to think of it on a consumer show, because doctors sometimes want to prescribe wisely, but may come under pressure from patients who think that um, antibiotics are a little bit more needed than than that. Um and so we, I think we what we try to do is we work directly with the prescribers for sure. But what antibiotic wise is about is making sure that the public has the information to contribute to being great consumers of antibiotics, which means using them only when you really need them.
1: Right. And antibioticwise.ca is the website. It's uh, easy to remember, antibiotic wise. And it it shows you if you're suffering from something and you're wondering whether antibiotics will work for you on a general level, it will show you and arm you with that information when you go talk to your doctor. So uh, let's talk about the downside of antibiotics. I mean, there there are quite a few of them. Obviously, antibiotics, you know, are a miracle and they save lives. But um, talk about the downside of taking antibiotics when you don't need them.
2: Well, I think there's a few things to remember. First of all, just like any drug, they can have side effects. And who hasn't you know, encountered somebody who's had a bad rash or a, a bad reaction or an antibiotic-associated diarrhea? And if that antibiotic wasn't needed in the first place, then that's an unnecessary thing for somebody to suffer from. We're also yeah. learning that there are longer-term effects, you know, that, that babies who get antibiotics are more likely to develop, develop asthma later in life because the antibiotics mess up the health, healthy microbiota and its interaction with the developing immune system. So there are sort of the, the, the adverse effects of the drugs themselves, but I think what we're mostly worried about is that every time we use an antibiotic, uh, we increase the selection for resistant microbes. And, uh, and that is really the issue. We, we want antibiotics to be there for the serious infections, our, our pneumonias, our infections in immunocompromised people or people on cancer treatment. Um, but if we waste them uh, you, you know, too quickly, we'll see selection of resistant bugs and, it'll, and we won't see the benefit of antibiotics when we really need them.
1: And I guess it's a situation where it's, it's both the, the patient that develops a resistance to antibiotics, but also the entire globe that develops a resistance to antibiotics.
2: Well, I, I want to be clear. It's the bacteria or the microbe that develops resistance. So at the beginning of a treatment course, uh, Martin, if you took antibiotics, you'd have a mixed population of bacteria in your body. Those that are killed by the antibiotic, they're gone. And so what survives to form a future population is much more likely to be resistant um, to that antibiotic going ahead. So it's actually natural selection for resistant bacteria. It's not you that's resistant to the antibiotic. You're fine. You could keep taking it. It's not going to do anything different for you. But then uh, you're right about the population. What happens if you magnify that selection for resistance in you across all your friends and your neighborhood and the province? is that we would have a population of bacteria to deal with that are very difficult to manage with antibiotics.
1: Wow, it, it sounds like a sci-fi movie, a very scary sci-fi movie. And, and how, how serious do you take that? Do you think that if, if this continues, or if we, we misuse antibiotics, that certain um, diseases that we had controlled previously might come back?
2: Well, let's take a look at where we're at now. We're, we're in a p- position where about one in four community-acquired infections that need antibiotics. Um, there's a resistance to drugs we used to use, you know, say 20 years ago. It doesn't mean that most of them are unmanageable right now, but that's one in four. And that translates also to about 15 Canadian deaths a day from um, uh, antibiotic-resistant infections. What would happen if we just saw a marginal bump up in that resistance is that, say, by 2050 or so, let's say we're not one in four, but we're 40 percent of infections resistant. That would give us 38, 40 deaths a day in Canada. So, so more ongoing problems. And, of course, it, it, it amplifies because it makes it hard to do surgery um, organ transplants, immunosuppressive therapy, and, and that could cost the healthcare system its impact and uh, the economy a lot of money. Wow, those are
1: some sobering statistics, man. <laughs> <laughs> really are. And and I, I guess that's why it's so important. Uh, we're talking to Dr. David Patrick. He's from the BC Centre of Di- for Disease Control, and he is part of the antibioticwise.ca a campaign. It's a campaign to make sure that people are not misusing antibiotics. And you can go online to antibioticwise.ca. It's a really interesting website. And you can find out if you're wondering, like, oh, I, I have a cold. Will antibiotics work? They won't, by the way. Um, or or other things, sore throats, strep throat, and all these kinds of things. And uh, it's a... It's, uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing. And as a sort of general rule, I don't know if if you can really say, but as a general rule, can you just tell us what what sort of uh conditions are are helped by antibiotics and what conditions are not helped by antibiotics?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think it comes down to how people can help in this overall thing as as consumers and healthcare consumers. And so I think most people now are coming to terms with the idea that viral infections like colds and flus and COVID-19 and almost all bronchitis um, are not helped at all by antibiotics. And so it's a waste of the use of antibiotic in that particular setting. Um, On the other hand, if you have a rip-roaring urinary tract infection, um, you could benefit from an antibiotic. If you have a uh, a, a severe pneumonia, you can definitely benefit from an antibiotic. And we want to have them working for you um, if you should suffer from one of those outcomes.
1: Yeah, no kidding. So we we briefly touched on this. You mentioned it's a it's often a case where a patient comes in and they feel very strongly, especially maybe when they're talking about their own child, which is understandable, that they feel they need an antibiotic. And is it sometimes the doctor who kind of gets bullied into prescribing antibiotics?
2: Well, Martin, I wouldn't put it all on the consumer. I I had a student do a study taking a look at, you know, what sorts of factors um, predicted uh, prescription under certain circumstances. And certainly there's an awful lot that's on the prescriber. And we find people who have been in practice um, longer, people who've trained outside of North America, uh, male doctors like me, are all more likely to prescribe an antibiotic um, than, uh, than, than, than comparative people. And a lot of that variation in prescribing is explained by who the prescriber is and what their habits. And I'm very proud of our recent graduates through UBC and elsewhere because they're way smarter with using antibiotics than we were a generation ago. On the other hand, um, if you think about um, doctors and dentists as, in a way, small business people, they may well not want to prescribe um, an antibiotic, but if the feedback they get from patient after patient is anger that, you know, hey, you know, I, I thought I should get one for my bronchitis and, and I'm really annoyed with you, and then the, the encounter takes longer and everything else, sooner or later the, that pressure is going to affect the likelihood of a, a prescription. A, a doctor, a prescriber may cave, right? Yeah. So, it, so, it, so, so it's both sides of the equation, I, and, but I don't put it all on the consumers pushing it.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I recently interviewed uh, a nurse from Manitoba who was part of a study that showed uh, people who were using medicinal cannabis were getting their cannabis, the majority of them, not from their doctors, but from the stores or online from unregulated users. And uh, part of it was because the doctors, some doctors were not comfortable prescribing it or they just didn't understand the effects and all that stuff and uh, it really I guess it is education for everybody not just the consumers but also the doctors.
2: Yeah I mean I I mean understanding what the market is but we do have a regulated prescription drug uh, market in Canada and so we don't have as far as we know a great deal of antibiotic or antimicrobial use that's sort of um, totally invisible.
1: Right. And do you find it's different in other countries? Is, does Canada kind of lead the way or lag behind in terms of of the proper use of antibiotics?
2: Uh, we're in the middle. We've got nothing to boast about compared to places like Denmark and the Netherlands and most of Scandinavia. They're doing a better job of reducing use um, than we are. But we're using a lot less than places in southern Europe, uh, you know, France, uh, Spain, Italy. Um, uh, And in B.C., we're using less than in any other province in the country. So I think British Columbians are beginning to sort of get the feel for it. But that's just like the rich world. If you take a look around at uh, low and middle income countries, uh, you have much less regulated markets. You can just walk into a pharmacy and purchase antibiotics. We're seeing indications that in some countries um, kids may get multiple courses of antibiotics in a year because it's unregulated and, 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 um, it's, it, it's hard because, uh, people there may not have easy access to a physician or a dentist or a nurse practitioner to sort things out with them.
1: We're talking to, uh, uh, Dr. Patrick, <laughs> um, uh, uh, it, it, it's a really interesting question. Uh, Dr. David Patrick is a uh, infectious disease physician and a bunch of other things, and he's working with uh, the BC Centre for Disease Control on the campaign Antibioticwise.ca. Antibioticwise.ca. You can find out everything you need to know about what conditions are useful. or or where, where antibiotics are useful and what aren't. And uh, quite often we take antibiotics when we don't need them. And when we come back on Vancouver Consumer, we'll learn more about that, as well as how you can uh, make sure that you uh, keep your health, even if you're taking antibiotics. That's all when uh, Vancouver Consumer continues right after this.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. And uh, this afternoon we're talking antibiotics and uh, when you should use them and when you shouldn't use them with Dr. David Patrick from the BC Centre for Disease Control Uh, Their website is antibioticwise.ca. It's a really valuable resource. Uh, You could go if you were suffering from something and you were just wondering before you go see your doctor whether antibiotics would work or not. It would arm you with that information because as we've learned so far, it it really is all about the relationship you have with your doctor. And we were talking about the things that uh, aren't helped by antibiotics, for example, uh, viruses, uh, colds and flus. Antibiotics do not help, uh, even COVID-19. And I guess you've had a very, uh, a very busy three years, Dr. Patrick, because you are an infectious disease physician. And uh, I guess the last three years have been pretty busy for you. You've been probably learning new things all the time.
2: It's been a busy time uh, for, for everybody. There's no question about it. Um, and we saw all kinds of changes in antibiotic use during COVID-19. As you can imagine, when we had a lockdown, uh, there were, people weren't bumping into each other. There weren't too many respiratory infections going on, coughs and colds and things. So antibiotic use actually went down in the early part of the pandemic. But it certainly, rebound, certainly rebounded when we saw a lot of viral infections last fall.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so we we talked about the things that aren't helped by antibiotics, things like uh, colds and flu, COVID-19 and uh, viruses. Antibiotics do not kill viruses. What are some other things that uh, people have that they take antibiotics for?
2: Well, some people will want antibiotics around a procedure. Say you go to your dentist, and, and there's very few reasons to actually do that. The guidelines have changed quite a bit in 20 years. So, for example, if you've got a prosthetic hip or knee joint uh, from the orthopedic surgeon, it used to be that somebody would try to give you some antibiotics around the time of the dental procedure. But that doesn't help. It doesn't do anything to reduce um, problems with the joint and if you do see infections in those artificial joints, they, they don't come from the mouth organisms anyway. So dentists and ID physicians and orthopedic surgeons have, have sort of learned, okay, well, that's a, that's a waste of using antibiotics. We don't need them there.
1: Well, wow, that's interesting. I noticed when I take my dog to the vet for pretty much anything, they give, they give the dog antibiotics. And I guess it's probably a similar strategy, but we don't care so much because it's a dog.
2: Well, I think we have to care because, you know, there's this term, one health. We really live in one common microbial environment with our pets, with agricultural animals, um, with with humans. And and we swap the bugs around all the time. So this idea of overusing antibiotics isn't just a doctor-patient thing. It's something we have to be worried about in food production. And we certainly have to be worried about it in, in veterinary science as well.
1: Interesting, and and that brings us to disposing of antibiotics. I notice on the web page it talks about uh, getting rid of old antibiotics. Definitely don't leave them and save them for later and you know take them when they're unprescribed. But also, don't put them down the toilet, for example. you You say uh, it's very important to dispose of old antibiotic tablets uh, very carefully, right?
0: Um,
2: it, I, basically, your pharmacy will take them back and dispose of them uh, properly for you, and that, that is what we would recommend. And our problem may not be as big environmentally in Canada as it is, say, in parts of South Asia, but, but in, in those environments where there's a lot of antibiotics in the rivers and, and what have you, both from manufacturing and from, um, from humans discarding the antibiotics, you actually see resistant bacteria in the environment that are now making people sick.
1: Right. And when people do take antibiotics uh, for the right reasons, let's talk a little bit about the side effects, because I guess we're learning more and more all the time. It seems like about our gut health and uh, the biotic balance of, you know, of the good bacteria and the bad bacteria and uh, antibiotics can do a number on that. So so talk about that. What do people need to know when they do take antibiotics?
2: Well, I think if people take a course of antibiotics and then they get diarrhea that just keeps, keeps coming, it could be an antibiotic-associated diarrhea. And what happens is the antibiotic clears out the, some of the healthy bacteria and you, then you get overgrowth of particular bug. And that can cause a serious uh, diarrhea that needs to be separately managed. So that represents a risk of any time we use antibiotics. Um, that kind of antibiotic-associated diarrhea can happen. People can take antibiotics and feel side effects like nausea, and that's normal. That's not an allergy. But people can also take an antibiotic and then develop a you know a full-blown allergic reaction. You know, a rash after a couple of days, for example. What we're learning about those is they don't inevitably come back. If you change um, the sort of antibiotic that you take, and we've definitely uh, given physicians and dentists some guidance about this, then you're not necessarily going to see a recurrence of that rash. And a lot of people grow out of a, sh- a short-term um, antibiotic drug allergy. So you don't need to have that label of being you know, penicillin allergic for your entire life, for example.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I, I once mentioned a side effect of penicillin many years ago and it's still there. Whenever I go to, to a doctor, they always say, oh, you're allergic to penicillin. It's kind of funny. Um, so, so what about, um, prescribing anything? Do you, do you recommend, you know, yogurt or what? I mean, I guess you can't really, uh, speak for everybody. It's a bit general, but, but what are some things that people can do to get their get, gut health uh, back in order after taking antibiotics?
2: Well, Martin, I think the trick is to take them for as short as is necessary to deal with the uh, the problem. The probiotic idea or replacing thing is a good one in theory. In practice, most of the probiotics you see on the shelf aren't proven to do uh, very much. You're not going to do yourself any harm with them, but, but they're not proven to restore things fast. But th- th- there's an area that people don't know much about that I think is really important, And that is the developing microbiota in babies is really critical because it actually interacts with the immune system. And if you get this nice diversity of bugs in the baby's belly pretty early in life, you're actually less likely to have allergies um, later on. That gets interrupted by antibiotic treatment. And that's a problem. But the good news, if you're um, a parent with a baby that needs an antibiotic, is that the risk of asthma associated with that antibiotic is a lot lower um, if you manage to keep breastfeeding.
1: But I guess it's something to think about if you have a very young child uh, to make sure that you know if your child really needs those antibiotics. And is there a, a sort of a demographic where you see antibiotic? Uh, i'll call it abuse for lack of a better word uh is it is it more common in older people or or younger people
2: yeah no i would say like uh, across that across the board with babies and other young children there's been a dramatic decline in unnecessary use and by the way no, you know, no increase in complications of infections and things, so no indication that people are using too few antibiotics. So that's been great, and, and it's a huge success story, and we think it's actually driving asthma rates down in, in BC, which is another story. However, we've seen very little change in antibiotic use in people 60, 65 and up, and uh, so that's the group we're trying to communicate with um, right now, it's a good group to communicate with, Um, uh, most of them will digest messaging in in English, but we've got um, substantial groups of people who might prefer messaging in Punjabi or uh, Mandarin or Cantonese.
1: Yeah, well, it's a perfect example of how knowledge is power. And if people go to antibioticwise.ca, antibioticwise.ca, they can access all the different languages that you have on the website?
2: Yes, uh, so we've got a lot here, and uh, and we we've even, we even we partner with uh, uh, with the group Do Bugs Need Drugs in Alberta, and they've got 26 languages going. I don't think they have Welsh yet, but um, they've got 26 <laughs> global languages. <laughs>
1: wow, that's pretty impressive. So so let's just talk about some general rules uh, about antibiotics. Like uh, if you do take them, uh, I guess like what what do you say to people who who end up taking antibiotics, what are, what are some general rules about them?
2: Um, take them as prescribed. Um, you'll find that for many, many things, if you're well for a couple of days, um, it doesn't make really any difference if you, if you don't finish the whole course for most things. You know, there's a few exceptions, you know, bone infections you should take for a long time, that, that kind of thing. So the old idea that you've got to take every pill, even if you're feeling fantastic, um, that's actually not helpful because uh, what happens is the longer you're on the antibiotic, the more you're likely to produce your resistance and the more you're likely to produce that antibiotic-associated diarrhea problem.
1: Wow, that's really interesting because to me, if you would ask me the number one rule of antibiotics, it would be finish the course no matter how good you, you feel.
2: You and Alexander Fleming, the inventor of penicillins, would, would, have, would have said that, and that's what I would have been taught in medical school. But the evidence is that the longer you're on the antibiotic, the, the more frequently you develop um, resistant organisms, and that for most things that you take them for, short courses are good. We're actually learning that for community pneumonias, um, we can get away with courses as short as three to five days. Uh, and, and when I was, you know, an intern, we would be treating people for two weeks.
1: Wow, that's, that's wild. So uh, that's, I guess, the main rule. And uh, another rule is don't share your antibiotics, I guess, because because people do that, they, they might have some extra pills lying around, and they go, Oh, you're not feeling well, try try some of these. That's a terrible idea.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very think of them as a very targeted thing. Like if you've got a big, bad bacteria causing you a serious thing, they're exactly what you want. But, you know, 99 times out of 100 when we get sick, that's not the issue. And you take them for that and you might give yourself side effects and you might um, contribute to the resistance problem, both for your own family and for your community.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm seeing uh, the billboards and the commercials uh, around town and on TV for antibioticwise.ca. And you mentioned uh, there are many languages, so it's uh, accessible to everybody. What's been the uh, response so far? Have you been happy with that?
2: We've been doing campaigns, you know, on and off since, oh gosh, 2005. But uh, the, the current campaigns, I think, are getting a fair amount of attention and we're happy to see that um that we've got some uh some movement into communities that couldn't have used the english language material um in the past so where i've been talking to uh colleagues who are punjabi who said okay there's a few people picking up the messaging um that wouldn't have previously had it
1: right and i remember the old uh, motto which was i think am i saying this right bugs don't uh what is it? what is it Something about
2: I know uh, I've forgotten it. Do bugs need drugs? That's still, yes. I mean, for me, that's still a motto. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're we're saying we got to have to be wise about antibiotics, but we still use that. Do bugs need drugs? We have a a guide for prescribers called Bugs and Drugs, uh, produced by my colleague Edith blondale Hill and Susan Pritters from Alberta, and it's terrific because it just summarizes all the current knowledge about antibiotics, and it's not commercially influenced. Uh, And it really pushes symptomatic therapy when you, um, you know, when you don't need to use an antibiotic, you know, Uh, middle ear infections, most of them will get better with painkillers in a day or two. And then if they don't, you can use antibiotics.
1: Well, you're doing some great work, Uh, Dr. David Patrick from the BC Centre for Disease Control, uh, an infectious disease physician, among many other things. And he's part of the uh, Antibiotic Wise campaign. And you can go to antibioticwise.ca to find out everything you need to know. It's a great thing to do before you go to your doctor. Go to that website, antibioticwise.ca, and find out if maybe you need antibiotics or maybe you don't need. Uh, Dr. Patrick, thanks so much. A very interesting chat.
2: Thanks for helping us spread the word, Martin. I appreciate it.
1: Right on. And coming up on Vancouver Consumer, how did people get entertained in Vancouver in 1935? This was before we could see Taylor Swift at GM Place. So we did the next best thing. We all gathered around the Burrard Bridge to watch somebody jump off. And this was a big deal. I've got that story when Vancouver's Consumer continues right after this.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. So what did people do in Vancouver for fun in 1935? Well, judging by this, we certainly were not a no fun city back in the 30s. Because today, on this day, April 8th, 1935, 20,000 people gathered on the Burrard Street Bridge to cheer on a guy named Ray Woods. He was a daredevil who promised that he would do what the Vancouver News Herald newspaper called a death defying jump off the bridge. He had permission. Mayor Jerry McGear endorsed the event. The crowd was really into it. 20,000 people showed up cheering him on as he walked slowly to the edge of the bridge. So how did he do? Here's how the newspaper described it. Defying the elements, the diver took off the windy side of the Burrard Bridge to the choppy water 110 feet below. And so nonchalant was he that he took off backward, making a perfect back jackknife dive. That's from the newspaper. So he hit the water and he resurfaced almost immediately and the crowd went nuts and he was fine thanks to a padded corset. Wood was the owner of a diving school in his hometown of St. Louis, and the 110-foot drop was actually pretty easy for him. In fact, it was his 161st jump from a bridge, and some of those bridges were as high as 170 feet. If, uh, In fact, most of the danger was from cars almost hitting the throngs of people running across Burrard to see it. Woods would continue to tour North America, uh, defying death. He was becoming quite well-known. That was until 1937, when a miscalculation on a jump off the Oakland Bay Bridge in San Francisco would leave him a quadriplegic. However, despite what he was told by doctors, he would eventually regain mobility in his upper body, and he seemed like a very positive guy. Despite his injury, he would later say he had no regrets. He told a Michigan newspaper in 1939 that he dived because he loved to travel, and this was the only way he could travel and get paid for it. That was Ray Wood. He dove off the Barard Street Bridge on this day, April 8th. 1935. This is Vancouver Consumer. We will be back next Saturday at 2 p.m. I want to thank our producer, Leo Coelho. I'm Martin Strong. The news on CKNW is next.
0: The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.